you all know that when I get into something, I really get into it. And so Amanda and I last June went to Switzerland. I can see the Swiss flag on the table set up all lovely with its white cross. Uh, but when we were there, we spent a lot of time going around to these famous Reformation sites. The Reformation took place largely in Switzerland, uh, which is not why we were there, but it was a nice bonus to go see all these famous churches. And you know, I, I've been reading more about the Reformation because I want to know more about Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and all these other leaders. Uh, and it is amazing to me all the things that they fight over. <laughs> I mean, we know about the indulgences, the Catholic Church charging a price for, for salvation. We know about the hierarchy and all of that. But then you get deeper into all of the theological arguments they were having. Like, if the Catholic Church doesn't tell you what something means, then what does it mean? And who gets to decide? And some of these arguments to us, from our modern perspective, seem kind of silly. You know, when should people be baptized? as infants or believers. I mean, do you, okay, we think we'll let the Methodists and the Episcopalians do their own thing and we'll do our own thing. But in the Reformation, people died <laughs> because of this disagreement. Then there's, I was fascinated how quickly the conversation of whether or not priests can be married came up. Uh, I'm surprised how quickly it came up, and I'm actually not very surprised how quickly it came up that all the priests said, oh, yes, yes, we can be married. <laughs> very quickly. And so when we were in Switzerland, we saw all these churches, the churches of Zingli and Calvin, these important reformers who had very, very strong opinions. And Christians still disagree on a lot of things. Heck, Christians in this room still disagree on a lot of things. But during the Reformation, people physically fought one another over them. So I'm going to say right now, just to have it on the record, I am so glad that we don't wage war on the Methodists. That might be a losing fight anyways for us. But one of the things the Reformers disagreed on was communion. And I think it's one of those things that we don't always stop and come back to and reflect on. What happens when we gather at the table? What is going on in the bread and the cup? You know, the Catholic view is pretty straightforward. Uh, transubstantiation. There is something that happens in the bread and the wine that when you ingest it, it is transformed into the physical body and physical blood of Jesus. And so the reformers weren't quite sure they thought that was happening. And so they came up with all these other theories for what was going on. You know, some wanted a middle ground. Christ is present in the bread and the cup, but only spiritually, not physically. Of course, as disciples, we would say, well, it's kind of an individual matter, what you think is going on. But that didn't quite fly with the reformers. They had to know what was happening. And answering this question led to all sorts of fights. And I think it's one of the reasons why denominations have proliferated following the Reformation. We can't seem to agree in how God is present in communion. Well, I want to settle the debate today. <laughs> and how many different denominations have been founded with just those words. But I've been thinking about this the last few weeks. 
And I, I personally believe that one of the promises of the Bible is that God is with us. God is always present with us. There's not a special place where God is and then a whole bunch of places where God isn't. You read in the Psalms that even if I make my bed in Sheol, which is the underworld, you were there. And so I actually don't think that communion summons God to be with us. I don't think we go to the table and we say some magic words and all of a sudden Jesus is there. But rather, the sacraments of the church, including communion, are actually about awakening us. They are about reminding us that God is already present, that God is already with us. Communion is this reminder that Christ has given to us and to the followers of Jesus that reminds us over and over again that God is with us. So when we gather and we say the words, do this in remembrance of me, it's that remembrance that is so important. Remember, don't forget. Gathering around a table together reminds us of this essential fact that we're never left alone. So let's listen to our scripture for today from 1 Corinthians. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Oh may God bless this reading. So if you go back in time to before the Reformation, like a thousand years before the Reformation, um, all the debates that the church had where it was over Jesus' nature. He's both divine and human. And I, for modern ears, again, talk about really esoteric conversations that are hard to wrap your mind around. But, but that's what they thought about for hundreds of years. And they settled on this complicated idea known as homoousian, I don't know if I'm saying that right. I don't speak Latin. But it was this idea that Jesus and God are one substance, one in unity, but not wholly the same thing, but are one God. I could go on and on, and I don't think I could explain it to you. Disciples of Christ, our denomination, tends to struggle with this stuff, and I'm no exception. It's a little too academic for us. But the core idea, I think, is actually important. You see, there's this question, was, was Jesus just a really good human? Was he just a great teacher with some great ideas? Or was there something more going on with him? So one way Christians talk about this is the term incarnation, which is the idea that Jesus is God come to be with us. And incarnation says that Jesus is it's not just that Jesus is a good teacher. It's not just that he was a good person, but rather in Jesus, God is saying that creation, that humanity, that the cosmos, that all that is, isn't a mistake. It's not an accident. It's not even something that we're trying to escape or get away from. 
It's actually really important to God, so important that God couldn't stay separated from it, that God couldn't be apart from it forever, that God had to come and be with us. And so in the historical person of Jesus, who is both fully human and fully divine, however you want to explain that, it is God saying, I will not leave you. And in fact, let me show you the length to which I will go to assure you of my presence, even to suffering on a cross. And how much of our lives do we live with this knowledge? All of our struggles, all of our joys, our sorrows, our pains, all of our successes, all of our uncertainties, our doubts, all of that is done with God. God is present in all of those situations, in the Holy Spirit and in the person of Jesus. God does not avoid us, but enters into it all with us. God walks with us, and not just us, but all of creation. See, there's something going on in the world and the presence of love and mercy and grace and compassion. And it's the presence of a God who cares. And we are reminded of this God and the community who represents God's body every single time we gather around a table together to eat and to pray. Maybe this doesn't sound all that remarkable, not certainly as remarkable as a piece of bread transforming in your digestive system into the flesh of another human. But I think we all do know the power of a table. We become the presence of God's love in one another's life when we do that. And we know it's important because it is something we've all participated in during life. You know, in the life of this church, the last several months, if maybe you've noticed, it's been a little bit tough. We have a ritual around here that uh, we light a candle at the beginning of service when we've lost a member. And since we got back from Switzerland in the middle of June, we've lit five candles. That's five candles in about 12 or 13 weeks. Folks who were important to this church We've had five funerals for members, five times coming together to celebrate and grieve with families. And then personally, I'll let you know that I've done another service for a couple of community members. And then I was present this last week at a funeral for a friend's family who died in Chicago a few weeks ago. We've been praying for them. And I wonder if you all have noticed that, that there's been this grief Maybe you feel it, maybe you don't. But I've been thinking about it a lot because last week on Saturday, I drove up to Chicago to be with my friend whose family was grieving. And it was a very tragic loss. And I, all the way up there, was wondering what was I going to say when I got there. This is a, a pastor thing where you're like, what are the right words to fix it? And then you have to be remembered of that professor who always told you there is no right word. <laughs> But I, you know, what could I do? Would I be in the way when I got up there? Should I just not go? Could I stand the grief and the silence, the focus on all that was wrong? Was I going to make the problem worse? I wonder if you've ever felt that way about a situation where you're, you think, well, I don't know what to do or say, so I'm just not going to go. But I was in a car on the way to Chicago and I couldn't turn around. 
Anyways, I got to the house, and I got there shortly before lunch. And at some point, um, I hopped in the car with my friend, and we drove to this chicken place on the south side of Chicago and picked up a bunch of chicken wings. I mean, a huge platter of chicken wings. And we drove home, and we just talked. Not only about the tragedy, but about family life, about his recent vacation to the West Coast. Um, his family is Puerto Rican, and his cousin had come from Puerto Rico, and he kept giving me a hard time about how I had never been to Puerto Rico, where the family is from. And I told him about how things were going at church and Indiana and Amanda's new job, and we all gathered around this table with this large platter of chicken wings, and we connected. It was as though gathered there, we were saying to one another, I will not leave you. It was as though gathered there, we were saying, even in this mess, in this difficulty, I am here. Don't have the right thing to say, don't know what to do, but I can eat my share of chicken wings. And I wonder if we often expect a bigger bang from the communion table. You know, we're like Elijah in that cave. God has said, go up into the cave and wait to hear my voice. And we see this big flash of fire. It's like a light show. There's fog coming out from everywhere and God is not in that. There's an earthquake. God isn't in that. And we keep thinking, God will be in this next thing. And then it gets silent. There's no noise. We don't know what to say or what to do. We just listen. And then God shows up. When we gather at the table every week, we're reminding ourselves that this is the way it works. That God's presence isn't absent from us, but rather our awareness of God's presence might be missing. We often seek God's we often seek God in the exceptional and not in the mundane, except that God is always present with us, especially when we are present with one another. We are, after all, each of us, the image of God. When we're at the table together, we get to gaze into God's eyes, listen to God's words, feel God's presence. And that's what this meal is about. It's not magic words that we recite to make God's presence real among us. Don't tell the Catholics I said that. But it's a reminder that when we are together in community, that God is already with us. And that when we come together, we are made one body with Christians, not just in our community, but around the world. So on this World Communion Sunday, we gather to remember that God is with us and not just us, but all of creation, the cosmos. And you can look around at the flags on the wall that are waving in the air conditioning, blowing up on the sides. Some of these flags are familiar. Some of them aren't very familiar. We were looking them up before worship to figure out what they all were. I'm pretty sure every country is represented, but don't quote me on that. But I can tell you that in each one of those places, God is present. There isn't a single nation, a single person who isn't loved by God. 
And that's what communion reminds us. God is with us. And when we are together with one another around a table, sharing in bread, sharing in the compassion and the mercy and the grace that Jesus taught us, we remind one another, God loves this creation. We remind one another that God came to be with us. This table is meant to open our eyes to what is already true. Will you pray with me? Oh, holy and gracious God, we give you thanks today for the ways in which you are already present with us. We pray that you might open our eyes and our ears to know your presence in one another. We pray that as we gather here today and as folks gather around tables around the world, that we might continue to grow closer to those who are already part of your body. We pray, O oh holy God, knowing that you are good, that you are just, that you are a God who is making things new. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.